0: This is Teacher's Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Good early evening and late afternoon, dear listeners. This is Maud, your hostess on Teacher's Talk Radio. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 17th of September, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is motivation for teachers for the long haul. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Afternoon Show with Maud. Good early evening and late afternoon, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 47th radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience with you. Uh, But first, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I am Maud a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have been living in the United Kingdom since August 2008, and I am a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach languages, French and Spanish. I also um, do some teaching in the charity sector, where I teach French as a mother tongue on Saturday mornings. You can follow me on Twitter at Prof Prof MFL. All views are my own. So, today's topic is about a topic that is relevant to me as an educator, also as a parent in my daily working life. The podcast and discussion will be on the topic of motivation for teachers for the long haul. This is mostly relevant to teachers and educators, but also parents of children who are educated in schools, students, people interested in education, and the generally curious and well-informed. As I said, if you want to connect with me, you can use uh, X or Twitter on my hashtag. It's at profprofmfl. Let's go back to a little bit of etymology, which is the science of learning about words, when they first started being used and how they came to be. Motivation, what is motivation? So on a behavior point, motivation is the reason for which a human or an animal can initiate, continue, or terminate a behavior at any given time. Now, I'm not interested in a behavioralist approach here, and I'm going to focus on a particular aspect of motivation in school. Most research And most books and most theses in uh, science of education have been written about how to motivate students. And this is a vast subject that deserved many more podcasts. But today I wanted to reflect on a different approach to motivation. I wanted to think about the other side of the coin. And this is motivation for teachers, because it seems that we have not looked at motivation for teachers for a long time and this might be the reason why we are facing a retention crisis, not just in the UK but also in France and in the United States. So it seems like the Western countries are facing demotivated teachers. So what's going on? Well, we need to look at motivation in the workplace. So motivation in the workplace is defined as something that motivates or energizes employees to bring their commitment, their enthusiasm, high energy level, their creativity to their workplace or their organization daily. So what makes an employee work hard, enjoy it, and also bring a lot to the institution they belong to. So this is what we are gonna focus on today. I have been doing some research prior to this uh, podcast and I'm referring to a very interesting report I would advise anyone who works in education to have a look at. It's published on a website called Public First, and it's entitled, The Commission on Teacher Retention Final Report. So this was published very recently, on the 6th of June, 2023, so just before the summer. And I think it's worth a read for anyone who is interested in what's going on in our schools. And I love its title because I think it's almost ironic or almost comedic. So the title of the report is... 1970s working conditions in the 2020s modernizing the professional lives of teachers for the 21st century and why am i thinking it's a bit funny well when i think about 1970s working conditions um, i have an image from the movie abigail's tea party coming abby abigail's party um you know flow flowery dresses and and men with very big mustache and and big glasses and smoking a lot of smoking um so i'm sure people who were teachers in the 70s might have a very different image <laughs> of teaching in the 70s but obviously we are 50 years on and we're still working pretty much following an organization and a structure that was the height of modernity in the 1960s or 70s. So it is time to look at this. So the report I'm referring to um, was based on a six-month inquiry, a lot of um, teachers but also head teachers and professional educators were asked to contribute and um, it is a very interesting read. Why? Well. First, the report is just plainly giving a voice to many teachers. And if you see the number of quotes in the report, it's really interesting to hear what teachers are saying. So the comments on the report say that the general discovery made by the report is that staff retention is and will always be quite a straightforward indicator of staff satisfaction which means if your employees are happy, they will stay. They won't leave and they will not be looking for another job. Now, if you look at teacher retention statistics, um, a lot of teachers must be very unhappy in the UK because they change schools quite a lot. So if we look at the rate of attrition, so the rate of departures from teachers, it means that every 14 years, all the teachers who are currently in our schools will have left which is really crazy because you need to think it takes seven years of experience to become um i would say quite um connoisseur in education so these teachers reach their highest level of experience after seven years but they don't stay and share it with other new colleagues they don't actually stay in the whole machine the cogs are leaving the machine so you need to buy new cogs and this is very expensive it costs more than twenty thousand pounds to train a teacher and if you have to do this every 14 years with the whole workforce you can see how this is throwing money at a fire this is not going to stop the fire so we have a big problem because we lose highly skilled highly trained professional people So what would you do if you were in charge and you realize that your workforce is leaving? well first you would think you need to do something because you can't just sit idle and watch the staff leaving but the issue is that you need to modernize the workplace so that the, it matches the teachers you're facing. Modernization here in this country when it's applied to education, is very fraught. Because it's it shouldn't be a political decision. It shouldn't be a philosophical preference. It should just be something you do to adapt. If nobody's buying, let's say, a special type of hair gel, then you need to produce a different hair gel that attracts consumers again. If you think like a business, you would understand how terribly present this epidemic of teacher leaving, teachers leaving is actually hindering education. But it seems that in the education field, we look at teachers leaving and we are thinking, let's stay exactly the way we are and hope they'll come back. So modernization is not sought after whereas it is a pragmatic empirical response to data and to evidence if your teachers are leaving you need to stop what you're doing reflect and find out how to make them stay because we're facing a vicious circle and the vicious circle is that if you lose your staff if they come and stay for a year or two and then they leave then you're going to struggle to replace them and then you're going to have to give more work to the staff who's staying with you, the faithful ones who are staying with you. And if you are making their work harder, you're going to push them even closer to leaving. So this is the vicious circle we're facing at the moment in our schools. Why are we facing this vicious circle? Well, as I explained, it seems that the whole school educational field And most people in position of leadership are pretty stagnant in their ways. In France, we joke about the educational staff being a mammoth. So something that is very slow and very old and that is quite temperamental and doesn't like change. Um, This is quite a cliche, by the way. Now, in the UK, the educational sector and the staff in particular, were called the blob which is not more flattering. But I actually think if you have the chance to visit a school, you're going to see that these are very young people. Teachers are not like in the 70s, middle aged and middle class. Teachers now are young, they're from all walks of life, all ethnicities. And yet, they're not, le- they're not staying. So they have nothing to do with a fossilized uh, workforce. They are very young people. The reason why they're leaving is because they know what they want and they know their worth. So the leadership is being stagnant and is not looking for modern ways to deal with this. What can we do as educators or as parents to ho- hopefully have enough teachers to teach? Well, first we need to recognize there's a problem. And I think it's pretty much accepted by now. We've had so many articles in major newspapers about retention crisis that I think it's sinking in. In France, we have lots of parents who complain that after having five cover teachers, their child still doesn't have a maths teacher in front of them in an exam year. So I think parents are realizing there's a problem. Now, there's another hurdle we need to make people understand. COVID-19 is not a pandemic that is finished. It's still going on. Now, it might be killing less people and less exponentially. It's still happening. And we have put it under the carpet, hidden, and we've tried to forget about it. Now, this is not a very pragmatic, empirical way of dealing with a problem. Because we are pretending that we are moving on, that the epidemic is over, and that it didn't have such drastic consequences. Whereas, if you ask anyone working in the NHS or in schools, the effects of COVID 19 and the lockdowns and people who lost their jobs, the effects of COVID 19 are only just starting to appear. The social an emotional legacy of COVID-19 will be felt for decades. If you do not realize how bad it is, just ask around. You might have friends who've lost parents. You might have students who've lost parents. The effects of COVID-19 will be resounding for the rest of their lives. If you're lucky that you didn't lose anyone, you might have had loss of income or COVID might have affected you in more subtle ways for instance you might realize that you do not invite friends over to your house as much as you used to before covid or that you're more reluctant before you do or book a trip or just maybe you plan things more you might still suffer from anxiety due to sheer level of panic and also life-threatening situations we have all experienced around the world so COVID-19 has had an effect on the educational sector and we're just at the tip of the iceberg. We haven't seen what's under the surface of the water. What I can tell you we see in schools is that children and young people are affected. There is a lot more apathy. Children are sitting on their chair, not particularly engaged in their education. They are not willing to overcome hurdles. They are not motivated intrinsically or externally. There's significant disaffection and disconnection between young people. Behaviour is really hard to deal with at the moment. And there is a high level of mental health and also violent, self-destructive behaviour in schools. If we do not take this into account, it won't be solved and it will increase, sadly. So the situation is twofold. We had uh, no pay pay rise since two thousand and ten in real terms. So teachers' pay is not motivating enough to get new staff. It's not motivating enough to keep teachers in the classroom either. And also, because of the new situation due to COVID nineteen, teachers are facing even more difficult decisions to make in their working life. So the teacher's job satisfaction is going down, their work-life balance and their status has been eroded by 14 years of Tory leadership in government, and they also have a lot of tasks that they call empty work, which means that it is meaningless, it doesn't really help students learn better, it takes a lot of time to fill in, and yet it's soul-destroying. So all these new challenges make teachers feel quite low in morale. Adding to that difficult behavior, old-fashioned 1970s antiquated working patterns and sometimes toxic school cultures, and you have a recipe for a disaster. But because I'm not a pessimist, just i hope a realist i'm trying to bring some suggestions these are the suggestions from the report the one i mentioned earlier i'll give you some of mine more pragmatic might be a little bit more anecdotal but still something you can try out so the public first report i'll remind you the name the commission on teacher retention final report has offered us some suggestion to Stop the retention, the teacher retention crisis, and bring some much uh, needed young blood into the profession, and also to keep the experienced teachers that we need. So, first, the report recommended that a government independent review was formed looking at pay and conditions for teachers. Let's remind ourselves that since um, 1991 we have an uh, for teachers the the way to protect their work with a little bit of flexibility so it was it was um, there was a rule device called the 1265 hour rule. Yeah, that's not a great title. I think we should find a, a better one. I would go for a1,000 hours rule personally. So what does it mean? The 1265 hour rule is called and it's called the, the directed hours. So basically the 1265 hours are the hours that a teacher has to give, on site at school. And these hours were obviously enforced by the head teacher and SLT. And then to that there's undirected hours, all the hours that are not counted in for prep, for marking, for preparing school trips, etc. And these hours are not paid. Now this was a way to protect teachers so that they didn't have to do too much cover work. But in the long run now, it seems like this is antiquated because these obviously do not count all the other hours that teachers are doing. And since the undirected hours are increasing year on year, this becomes meaningless. The report is also asking that we need to write down on in black and white, a poor practice record where we write down all the things that schools should not ask teachers to do. It should be a list that is circulated all throughout the country so that teachers can tell the SLT, I'm not gonna do this because it's seen as poor practice, which means it's time consuming, it doesn't make any difference and it's not bringing anything better for our students' education. Another recommendation from the report was that school leaders should review their own workload practices. So, that they make sure whatever they ask the teachers to do and whatever they make themselves do as well as head teachers is data driven. Which means if they decide to um, ask for a particular way of doing things, has it been proven to be efficient? And if so, how can we do it so that it impacts the teachers' working hours less? Another recommendation from the first report is that the Department for Education should set new retention targets for the school workforce, which means that the Department for Education should scrutinize how many teachers are leaving and try and stop that number from growing, having targets. And this would make the government accountable for the way. It's treating its employees. If too many employees are leaving, that's because the workplace is nefarious. And if the workplace is nefarious, the one who is responsible is at the end of the day, the Department for Education and the government because they employ us all. Another advice given by the report is that the profession needs to clarify what is school responsibility and what is not. I'll give you an example. During the lockdown, many head teachers noticed that their students were going hungry at home and they organized food banks and they even delivered food delivery parcels. Now, as lovely as that was, this was charity work that should not be the preserve of a school. A school is to provide a safe learning environment for students. A school is not a food bank and a school is not a charity. So we should make sure that the schools do not overstep onto social care because this serves the government. They do not have to provide food bank deliveries if the schools are doing it. And also it masks the problem. We shouldn't become social workers Or police officers or charities. We are schools, we should just focus on what we're doing. Another recommendation from the report is that we should start a national conversation at a political level on the complexity of bringing up children in a post pandemic era and how behavior impacts learning and schools. Because at the moment, we are just in the media we can see a lot of articles about school uniforms and schools being too strict but we are ignoring that schools are facing situations they would not have had to face before we are facing high level of violence we're facing people bring weapons into schools drugs etc and we are feeling ill equipped to deal with these big issues so we need a national discussion on this and not just on the length of skirts that girls are wearing another recommendation by the report on teacher retention is that we should create a fully funded specialist human resource advisory service which would try to show best practice into implementing flexible working policies and arrangements. Because we are lagging behind in the educational sector, it seems like some companies are doing better, and if you ask people work in banking or services, a lot of them are, are still working from home or flexibly, or they can turn up in the office one or two days a week not many people went back full on site um, Monday to Friday. And if if they had to do it, they were not always happy about this. So it, it is important that schools realize that they can function with a bit more flexible working. Now, obviously, if you have 30 children in a classroom, you need the staff to be present with them for safeguarding regulations and re- obvious reasons but this is a new way of working and I think we need to step up so that we can match this new way of working now another recommendation is that when a, a teacher is not t- teaching but preparing or marking they shouldn't have to be on site so we definitely need to make flexibility a part of the teaching schedule and um, the government is also, should commit to an urgent review of how we train early career framework and how we do offer CPDs, which is regular training sessions, so that the ones that can be done flexibly can be done from home. And now to the last, so there was 10 um, recommendations. On the report about teacher retention and the last two are an accountability system which looks at um the way inspections are made and this is the big o as we say in my school so it's about ofsted we need to make sure that um the people who are inspecting have um Experience in the classroom and are following guidelines so that there is no more tragedies involving head teachers who are overwhelmed and pestered by the institution. You know who I'm referring to. And then the last recommendation is that every five years, head teachers should be granted a month long paid sabbatical to complete a new qualification. Develop their management skills so that they become better leaders. And I would ask that any members of SLT should do that training. And maybe that anyone who is teaching in a classroom should be allowed to take a month long paid sabbatical um, in order to improve their knowledge in their subject. I could definitely see a lot of um, maybe. Maths teachers wanting to see how maths is taught in other countries or uh, language teachers refreshing their minor language skills, etc. So this is a summary of the recommendations that were devised by the Commission on Teacher Retention. The final report is available on Public First website. And remember the funny title, 1970s working conditions in the 2020s how to modernize the professional lives of teachers for the 21st century. Now, as we've established that there is research and uh, that is backed by evidence and that is offering solutions, let's see why this is not always followed through. But first, we're going to listen to the news.
2: Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EdApt different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support, whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, ADAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen ADAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: Rac remains the top education story across many media outlets, with the BBC focusing on the impact the issue is having on universities across the UK. The news website refers to closures of lecture theatres, science labs and student unions. So far, 14 universities have told the BBC that they have closed or partially closed areas containing the reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete. Some lectures have had to be relocated, and a small number of universities have had to find alternative accommodation for students, as halls of residence have also been affected. This has placed additional pressures on universities already facing housing shortages, with charity Unipol suggesting that student housing shortages are going to get worse in some cities. Student numbers are growing, but the number of new rooms is tumbling. This is largely due to high building costs, older buildings falling into disrepair and now RAC concerns are adding to the issue. Last week, the DfE published the list of 147 schools in England built using the concrete. Six unions have now written to Education Secretary Gillian Keegan asking a series of urgent questions. The BBC says that Essex is the county in England with the most affected schools, with 25 closed, partly closed or making alternative arrangements. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has dismissed suggestions that he was at fault for the concrete crisis. During Prime Minister's question time, he said his government had acted decisively, whilst opposition leader Sakiya Starmer referred to him as Captain Hindsight. In Wales, only two schools have so far been affected by RAC, but First Minister Mark Drakeford said inspections were ongoing. In Scotland, Humza Yousaf has outlined his plans for the coming year, with a heavy focus on expanding childcare provision, saying it is the best way to support families. This plan includes the recruitment of a thousand more childminders by 2026. Free childcare hours are being extended to two-year-olds across the country. There will be a pilot of expanded care from nine months to the end of primary in six local authority areas, and free school meals for P6 and P7 pupils moves forward but those in receipt of the Scottish Child Payment will receive them first by 2024, with others following by 2026. Last week, Mr Yusuf also commented on the issue of banning single-use vapes and linked this to the comments made about young people using vapes too often. He stated that the government will consult on curbing the sale of disposable single-use vapes, including consulting on an outright ban. According to The Guardian, South Korean teachers have staged walkouts over harassment by parents and students. Thousands of staff attended a rally in Seoul demanding better protection after a number of teacher suicides. Teachers are being increasingly vocal about their experiences of maltreatment, including being accused of child abuse after disciplining students. Around 15,000 teachers attended a rally last week and some schools had to temporarily close due to a lack of staff. As of June 2023, 100 school teachers had died by suicide in the country since 2018. The current education ministry blamed the current situation on previous governments, saying that they had overemphasized students' human rights over teachers' rights. Finally, The Guardian also reports that a city in Japan is tackling a rise in truancy with the help of robots. Two schools in Kumamoto have purchased mechanical assistance to help children regain confidence in dealing with teachers and their peers. It is hoped the robots will encourage children to attend classes remotely and eventually coax them back in person. The robots will be equipped with microphones, speakers and cameras. Students learning remotely will be connected to the robots via laptops, allowing them to attend and take part in discussions. The robots will not be confined to classrooms, but be free to roam so pupils can take part in other events and enjoy social times remotely too. Japan, like many countries, including the UK, is facing a rise in the number of pupils refusing to go to school since the pandemic. Could robots be the key to improvement? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox.
0: This is Two Minute
4: Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we've all returned to work and I'm going to discuss the old argument of digital or paper diary. For every argument for going digital, there's a counter argument for not, and vice versa. You can access a digital diary from anywhere on any device, but if you don't have a signal, it's useless. A paper diary can't get hacked, but it can be picked up and read if left lying around. You get the point. I personally Like a digital diary as it suits the way i work i can add links to online meetings add notes and attach documents i can see my day week month year at the click of a button and the most useful thing for me is i get reminder notifications one thing to consider if moving digital this year is policies on phones in your school as this is the most likely way you'll access it on the move and probably most importantly if you're using your phone Will you be able to resist the notifications from other apps or emails you see when you switch it on to use it? Cost doesn't really apply as a factor because you probably already have a phone capable of running a digital diary. But work-life balance may need to be considered as the diary is there 24-7. This can, however, be remedied by using Do Not Disturb settings for notifications. In the end, it's a personal choice. Are you paper or digital? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve
0: Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: We're back after the news. So, we were talking about motivating teachers to stay in the profession. How could we achieve this? It is quite the challenge, because at the moment, there's not much done to support teachers who want to stay. So let's have a look at how we could do this. Now, the first thing you would do if you could equate teaching, the teaching profession to any other business would be to look at how much work teachers are doing. Now I've mentioned the 1265-hour rule. So this was this came from a good intention, and you already know, dear listeners, that the way to hell is paved with bad good intentions. Um, so this is a specified number of hours for which teachers are directed to work by their head teacher over a year. So The head teacher basically controls this amount of time and tells us what to do in that amount of time it was brought into legislation as i said in 1991 which is quite a long time ago isn't it and um it's about teachers pay and conditions act which started in 1987 and it gave new powers to the secretary of state for education to determine the salaries of school teachers and at that point they chose to allocate directed time 1265 hours spread over 195 working days which comes to about 6.5 hours a day on average so that's the day you should be present at school and following your head teachers advice now any teacher will tell you that it is really hard to stay only 6.5 hours per day in the school if you want to do your job adequately and only 7% of teachers actually stay only the directed hours in the building and i'm sure some teachers do way more uh, if you are following my working day which is a pretty average one i need to be on site from 8 15 latest a.m and i can leave after 4 p.m so it sounds okay But you forget that most teachers come around 7.30 because they need to be able to park their car, they need to be able to get access to the printer before everybody rushes to it, they need to make sure their tables and chairs have been cleaned, that everything is at the right place in the classroom, and at the end of the day, they need to record all the things they have to record about safeguarding, if a child is unwell, you need to write it down, you need to write a report if a child attacks another child you need to write a report sometimes you need to talk to children for a restorative meeting sometimes you need to make phone calls to parents you also need to tidy up your desk clean the whiteboard cleaners don't always do it and you need to print all the worksheets you need for the following days so very often a teacher will leave past 5 pm and i have sometimes stayed until the caretaker told me to leave which is not fair for the caretaker they also have a family so only seven percent of teachers leave as soon as the directed time is over now the problem with that directed times is that it does not take into account all the other things a teacher has to do which is marking and also filling reports gathering data, analyzing data, and all these things are also described earlier. So basically all these other things are done unpaid and in your own time. So it is mathematically impossible to do all the tasks you're required to do by law. And can I remind you that a teacher can be prosecuted if they don't write a concern about a child who is at risk of uh, abuse. Whether it's financial, emotional, physical, etc., and it's also um, the teacher can be prosecuted if they haven't uh, raised uh, an alert if a child is sent back home to their to any country they come from and suffer from female genital mutilation or slave labour or country county lines, anything that puts the child at risk. If the teacher had information but didn't share them, didn't take the time to share them, the teacher is legally liable. So all this adds many tasks and teachers are happy to do these tasks because they want to protect children, but this is unpaid hours and you can't ask to be paid. Although you have a clocking in in and out system, you can't ask your head teacher at the end of the year, oh by the way I stay two hours every day, Uh, over the allocated time, could I be paid extra? No, sadly, it's not the same. And I assume it's the same in the NHS. If you stay longer, you're not paid extra. So this is one of the aspects we could look into if we want to make sure teachers are paid for the work they do and to make sure they stay in the profession. Protected PPA time was also something was introduced in 2002. It was to make sure that teachers had a few breaks in their timetables so that they could prepare their lessons in that time. Now, the problem with PPA is that um, it gets taken over by other tasks that I mentioned earlier. So teachers' responsibilities have evolved massively since the 1970s, and the uncapped number of undirected hours has eroded teachers work-life balance we stay longer because we're given more tasks that are really important tasks like flagging a child at risk and yet we're not paid for it now 80 percent of secondary teachers report that they do not feel their current salary is a fair reflection of the amount of work they put into their jobs so that's for teachers who work in uh, schools that have students who are in poverty or in um, difficult impoverished locations for teachers who work in state schools that are not in impoverished areas or local authorities it's 76% of teachers who believe that they are not um, their cu- their current salary is not a fair reflection of the amount of work they put into their jobs you might argue A lot of people feel that they're not paid uh, adequately in respect to the work and the amount of work they do and i take that uh, comment as valid but i do think that if you want to have teachers in front of your students in the classroom you need to address that feeling would financial rewards help reduce the number of teachers leaving the profession well financial rewards were, I mean, allowed since 2013. More freedom was given to head teachers so that they could pay their staff according to their own um, pay list. But the problem is that the budgets to education were cut. So head teachers were given the rights to pay their staff more without being given the budget to do so. So in effect, it hasn't happened we can't give bonuses to teachers if there's no money for bon- bonuses so the link to performance related pay also is a tricky one because if you work in a school where there's a lot of children on free school meals a lot of behavior issues a lot of children with special educational needs the results might not be as good as the national average which is not a direct reflection of the worth of teachers work but more a reflection of the student population or the area they they work in so this also creates tensions and is not always better to make teachers stay in their classroom now there is a big issue i mentioned earlier the problem is teachers most of the time chose their jobs not because they wanted to get rich quick that would be a big failure if they wanted to do that, and they had chosen to become teachers. But teachers want to do well for their students. They actually value human interaction, they enjoy sharing their love for their subject, and they want their students to succeed in their studies and in life thereafter. Now the problem is, and I'm quoting uh, David Lowbridge Ellis, who is director of school improvement at Matrix Academy Trust. And David Lowbridge Ellis says, We are becoming another wing of social services in the NHS. And I had that feeling as soon as I joined the education sector, is that state schools I'm talking about state schools because I do not have experience of working in private sector. And I think it's a very different landscape there but in the state school sector teachers have to do a lot of social care provision the job that would make sense for a health visitor or a psychologist or a nurse or a local authority nurse or a community nurse or a social worker this job has fallen onto the shoulders of teachers And this is because there is a shortage of professionals in the NHS in the social care aspect, in the social services. And also maybe the problem is that there hasn't been a budget allocated or a budget review. Um, Boris Johnson promised to come with an oven-ready a budget for the social services, social care in the UK in 2019, and we're still waiting for it. So this is the problem. Schools have started doing jobs that are not school related, such as um, charity, food banks, food deliveries during the lockdown. We also have sometimes to provide evidence for social workers and the police um it's a lot of work and also we have to work with online providers websites and social media to do online safety uh, we have an allocated phone number to contact many social media companies because sometimes there is uh, ab- so abuse verbal abuse online and schools have to deal with that too so this is another thing that we added to the teacher workload that is not recognized in the pay and in our wages. So how can we help teachers? They're overworked. And by the way, they're not always trained properly to do the tasks. I am trained to do safeguarding as a teacher. Yet, I have to say, I'm not a specialist of asthma care. I'm not a specialist of FGM prevention, I'm not equipped to deal with autism and ADHD diagnosis, I am not a trained counsellor and I'm not a psychotherapist. And yet, I have to dab into all these professions regularly, if not weekly. So, you can see that a teacher, if they want to do their job well, they would have to train on so many aspects that it would be literally impossible so we are st- we put in a position where we are going to have to fail at something because if i'm not very good at finding the signs uh, of dyspraxia of dyscalculia in a child that might have an impact on their mental health and then on their well-being and it could have a dramatic effect long term on that child And i'm aware of this so i'm basically set to do a job that is not always very good and it is very 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 hard for people who happen to be perfectionists a lot of teachers are perfectionists they like to do a good job they want to do a good job so this brings up the mental well-being issues that teachers face we always talk about children having a difficult mental health following the pandemic, but we're not thinking about teachers. We should think about both because we're both human beings and we work together in the classroom. And if a teacher is not feeling well, the children are going to feel it too. And there's nothing worse than having a children a, a teacher who is having a breakdown, crying in front of students, and has to be covered by a cover teacher. So. It is really important we realize that teacher retention is not just pay. It's about workload and it's also about mental load. Teachers make a lot of decisions every day, some decisions that are really, really crucial. And this takes its toll on their mental well being. So, motivating teachers to stay in the profession. There are a few pointers on how t- we can do that. We could obviously use what works with children, without trying to be too patronizing, such as offering praise, acknowledging the work teachers do. And by the way, I'm not saying clapping because I don't think nurses need the clapping for long. Um, but offering praise, uh, if if at least there was recognition of the work we do, um, if. Parents were were telling us, Oh, thank you so much for the work you've done with my child, etc. That would already help quite a lot. Recognizing teachers who go above and beyond expectations. So for instance, if you're lucky to have a teacher who does extra sessions for their child, you might want to, um, if your SLT, find some way to Um, give them acknowledgement, maybe by giving them less duties on some other things or a bonus if you happen to have a bit of spare cash lying around. Um, Be available for the teaching staff if you're a member of SLT. So have an open door policy. You can come and talk to me anytime. I think that's really important for SLT to have that policy. We could create a compelling reward program for teachers, for instance. I don't know if you value um, their work on a writing strategy or on taking kids on a school trip, maybe you should offer them some golden points so that they can take a day off uh, when they want to, so that they can have maybe a breather, or if they want to attend a wedding or something like that. So be flexible and reward people who go the extra mile. The one that is the most important one in my opinion, is listen to teachers' concerns, because it's so easy to just say, oh yeah, we know, but this is the way it is. And this is really what frustrates teachers. When we raise a concern, we say, I'm worried about this, this is not working. And then you, can, you, you just face a closed door. Um, uplift their ideas. So if a teacher comes to you with an idea that is not gonna break the bank, and that would benefit uh, a trial, just to see. Because you know we, we're always talking about data, but do we actually try to to find out what really works? So if you have a teacher who's coming up with an idea, and it's well thought through, well maybe let them trial it out. Um, scheduling fun events on the teachers' calendar, I'm always wary of this because not everybody is an extrovert who enjoys socializing. So I would say um, maybe factor a tiny budget, even if you can, just a tiny is the intention that counts, and then ask teachers what they would like to do with it. They might want to organize a barbecue for the end of term, or they might want to purchase uh, something for their staff room, but just let them choose. Don't, don't just tell them we're going to do a poker night because you like poker. And if you're a member of SLT, let them choose their reward and give your teachers the gift of time. I think this is really important. Don't plan CPDs for the first two days back. And if that could be a rule in, um, in the, um, negative practice book that should be shared to all schools please do not plan a few days full of CPDs tell teachers that you'll have a meeting for an hour and then they'll have free time to organize themselves trust them to do the right thing i think this is a way to motivate teachers to stay in the profession i mentioned mental load and i think this is something we need to talk about because it's brushed under the carpet too often let's remind ourselves that 76 to 78 percent of the workforce in education is composed of women and if there's one thing we know is that women haven't reached equal rights yet in uh, an equal pay we might have equal rights but not equal pay and definitely not equal uh, status so Let's remind ourselves that women still bear the brunt of most of the childcare, care, and that might have increased in COVID times. Um, women still do most of the grocery shopping. Women still most of the planning for um, all the children's duties, um, all the communication with their schools, with their activities, extracurricular activities, etc., keeping log of who needs to go and see the dentist, the doctor, who's had their jabs, etc., etc., etc. So women and mothers have a lot to deal with on a daily basis, without factoring work. And if you happen to be a woman who is a mother and a teacher, it's like. Um, Doubling or tripling the mental load. I'm going to quote what two teachers said that was published in that first report. My main challenge is my own sort of mental exhaustion and getting home and realizing that noise levels have been far too much for far too long. I found that it may have brought down my well being, I guess. I'm in demand all the time, whether that's at school and at home and balancing that, I suppose. I get home on a Friday night and I think, oh my God, I just need to sit in a dark room for 20 minutes and just desensitize myself a little bit. So that was a quote from a teacher on the effect of the mental load. So any any woman who is a mother and who is working full-time as a teacher will let you know that they share this feeling. It's just saturation. And the word desensitize is really apt. We have so many constant interactions that sometimes we feel like we need to shut our brains down because it's on overload. Another teacher said, and I'm quoting, I love the teaching but it's the absolute mental drain of dealing with what you deal with day in, day out. And I can quite often get home and I've got nothing left in the tank. My own kids, my own husband, and I just think, I don't wanna sit and talk. And I think that mentally, that is threatening. And I think it's a really unhealthy way of working. So that was another female teacher who mentioned the mental load and the effect it has on their work-life balance. Because if you have children at home and you face children all day, your patient has run out really thin. And sometimes you just don't have anything to give. And I always notice when I talk to um, colleagues who don't have children, because they're younger, or maybe because they don't want to have children, which is absolutely fine with me. But they tell me that after work, they just go home and they lie down on the sofa and they have a little mini nap of 20 minutes. And I'm always laughing because I tell them, oh, well, when you're a mom, a working mom who works in a school, you just go home and then you start your second day. Uh, at work again and it, it is really challenging and it's not taken into account um, working mothers work just as hard as all their other colleagues and they don't get they don't get any recognition for that extra work but that's a society issue isn't it now I mentioned too many hats and which is the reason why teachers are leaving the profession when asked to describe what they do in their daily work life teachers said that 69 percent had to help children process their emotions so regulation of emotions which would be the privilege of a therapist or a psychotherapist or psychoanalyst if we were thinking in professional terms then sixty nine percent of teachers said they had to talk to children about their mental health, which should be done by a medically trained professional if you think about it. You wouldn't want to have recommendation about your physical health from someone who is not a nutritionist or a physiotherapist or a doctor. so why would you take um, why would you ask teachers to actually give um, mental health recommendations? 41 percent of teachers said they have personally spent money buying supplies for their school pens, glues, etc. Now 33 percent of teachers said they helped a child resolve a family conflict which should be the privy of someone who works in safeguarding and who is trained for that or a social worker 26% of teachers said they signposted a family to local support services such as social housing or food banks, which should also be um, social services duties such as health visitors and etc. And when I say that, I'm not blaming social services for not doing it. I'm just saying that because of the way schools are structured, these duties fall onto teachers' shoulders. of teachers said they had to give food to children because they hadn't had any. And that's the poverty crisis, isn't it? That's revealed in these statistics. 13% of teachers said they cleaned clothes that their students couldn't have cleaned because they were dirty. 10% of teachers said they had to buy parts of school uniform for their students. And it's quite alarming because it reflects a state of neglect and of poverty in our student cohort. And it's the teachers who end up spending money on children they didn't give birth to or they're not guardians of. So what is going on then if teachers have to do so many different jobs for one pay? Well. What's going on is uh, Kafkaesque. Reminding ourselves of the Einstein quote, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, but you expect a different outcome, this is the definition of insanity. But here in 2023 in the UK, and in America, and in France, we've been having the same school structure the same school processes and methods since the nineteen sixties and seventies, and we expect things to get better. It won't until we change. We have a very old-fashioned, regimented way of seeing schools. People think teachers need to be there. They need to start at eight, eight thirty. They can only go home after four. They have set days, they have set holidays, they all go on holidays at the same time. We think we're going to attract people, young people. This is not going to work because now we're not facing 1970s young people, we're facing 2020s young people, we're facing millennials and Gen Z. Gen Z and millennials want to be able to live in their own way they want flexibility they want to be able to grab a coffee and meet a friend at lunch in the middle of a weekday they want to be able to go for a long weekend in europe and not go on school go to school on a monday they also want to be able to go to glastonbury on the friday so can we be flexible in our workplace well there is a great head teacher pepe de who works in Wales High School in Rotherham, and he said he introduced the idea of the golden ticket. So that's a free pass, and you can use it during term time. You can use, you can't abuse it, but you can use it. So it means that if someone wants to do Christmas shopping with their family on a Monday, they can say this morning or today I'm, go- I'm using my golden ticket. And they organize their cover themselves, SLT doesn't get involved. And then if someone else wants to say oh i'm having my birthday party this thursday i'm not coming but i'll organize the golden ticket with someone else this allows flexibility and increases job satisfaction because what gen z and millennial teachers want is freedom now If we look at a new report that has been published, and it's uh, from a very different source, it's not made by teachers this time. This report was made by Deloitte, and um, it was published in 2023. So if you go on the Deloitte website, D-E-L-O-I-T-T-E, you can find the um, Gen Z and Millennial Workplace Study. What? the Gen Z and millennials explained is that they want their workplace to reflect modernity. Workplaces shouldn't be stuck in the 1970s. No more flare pants, flowery dresses, cigars, cigarettes and big glasses. We need to move on. Um, Gen Z and millennials want to confront financial concerns with their hierarchy. They want to be enabled to be flexible, as in where they work and when they work. They want to accelerate progress and they want sustainable workplaces with a very strong environmentally friendly perspective. So how do we make this happen in schools? Well, first, the first thing is to let teachers talk. And I think this is why I'm podcasting, because I find it difficult to not have a voice in the structure of the school I work at. So I enjoy being able to discuss ideas with interviewees, also develop thoughts about my profession. So finding one's voice is essential for most people. I would also argue that for women, it is really important. We need to ask teachers, what went well last year? What didn't work out so well? And what could we do to improve it? We need to ask teachers, what would you expect from a school for initiatives, policies, staff development? What can the administration or the leadership do to support you? This is the questions that should be given on a CPD on the first day back at school. Let the teachers tell you what works and what doesn't. They are in the front line. Simple suggestions for SLT. Have a suggestion box in the department, in the staff room. Have it for teachers and have it for students. Encourage teachers to voice their questions and concerns. I always find it telling when during a CPD on behavior, there is no Q&A at the end. Invite a teacher representative. It can be someone who is part of the union, but it can also be someone else so that they can report what the morale is like. If possible, have an open door policy and don't worry, teachers aren't gonna harass you because they have so much to do. So just have an open door policy. And also at faculty meeting, ask teachers their opinions on important issues or just brainstorm with them. A good leader is someone who asks for help when help is needed and just listens to their staff. Treat teachers like respected professionals. Do not patronize them, but offer them the chance to voice their concerns. And I know it's a lot to ask because being a leader is tricky too. Sadly, it's the same issues with retention for teachers and for headteachers. If we look at an analysis from the Department for Education, there's data by the National Association of Head Teachers, NAHT, and it revealed that more than one in three, which is 37%, one in three of head teachers and half of middle leaders, 44%, will leave their position within the next five years because it's too hard. So there is a retention crisis for teachers, but there is also the same for their leadership. Why is this? Because there's too many hats to wear when you're a head teacher. You need to be a businessman. You need to be a legal advisor. You need to to sometimes deal with journalists and the press. It's too hard. So how do we keep people in schools? Not just teachers, but leaders as well. Well, we need to give them time, time to collaborate, time to share the load, and space. And you know what? This is an equation I like. Space and time equals autonomy. There is not enough autonomy in school structures. And I will go as far as there is not enough democracy in school structures. We need a democratic education system. Space to think and choose how you teach autonomy to do it. Then you need rewards, little thoughtful gestures, free hot drinks in the staff room, free breakfast on a CPD day, golden tickets for taking time off when you need to. You can also do you can also do special mention if you notice that a teacher is taking is going the extra mile for such and such student. Just thank them in public. It will be appreciated. But don't patronize them. So no uh, gold star. Thank you very much. Now, I want to bring it back. We talked in general terms. We talked about Gen Z. We talked about the millennials. We talked about many, many aspects of the whole nationwide issue of teacher retention and motivation. So now I want to talk about my motivational tips. How can we stay in the classroom? But first, we're going to listen to the news.
2: Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes Edapt different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialized solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, Edapt are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen Edapt to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. ADAPT, supporting school staff, protecting careers.
1: Right. Thank you for listening to the the announcers. I'm going to give you and share my motivational tips to stay in the classroom. As you know, I am a full time working um, teacher and mother. So I have a lot on my plate and at the weekend, as you know, I do podcasting. So how do I stay motivated? Well, there's a list of recommendations of principles I follow and I try to follow them on a daily basis. And I hope they might be useful for anyone who wants to stay motivated in their workplace. So my first motivation tip is reach out and share, which is why I'm doing a podcast. It's important to see the the potential of social media and the internet. When you start a profession, you might feel like you're the only one who doesn't know anything, and you might feel lonely. But if you go online on social media, if you join a forum, you might realize that there's so many people who are exactly in the same position. So go on any uh, social media Uh, Find a forum or a Facebook group page or a group on X Twitter who can just help and share tips with you and you will feel like you belong. And belonging is really important. And it might be strange to feel like you understand someone who's teaching in Australia or Nevada, but it's the same job and we share the same difficult situations at times. So it's not about geography it's about belonging. My other motivation tip is find a hobby and stick with it. So podcasting is one of my hobbies, but I also have creative writing and I like to do that in my spare time. I don't do much creative writing at the moment, but I still edit other people's creative writing. So please get yourself a hobby once a week or once bi weekly. And you can also use your hobby in school. You can offer a club um, where you teach children how to do the hobby you like. It might be sewing, writing, baking, podcasting, anything. But just stick to it and do not give up. It's your precious personal time. Do not overindulge with food and alcohol. This is serious. I'm not a doctor, but there is an obesity crisis in the UK and alcohol is not your friend. So I would always say stay in moderation. Do not reach out for drinks when you've had a tough day because it's a dangerous habit, particularly if you're having tough days every day. So please do not overindulge with food and alcohol and make a ritual instead. Sometimes if I feel like, oh, I'd fancy a little sparkling drink i actually reach for sparkling water with a bit of lemon juice or i make a big ritual of having a nice tea um a posh tea i call it so uh, make a little ritual that's soothing which does not involve any uh drugs or because it's it can have detrimental repercussions in the long run exercise is another tip please don't stop your exercising habits because you're working full time you need to uh, work on your bone uh, density if you're an older person after 40 you lose a lot of muscle mass and also it releases endorphins so whether you're young or old whether you're overweight or too skinny keep exercising, fit it in your schedule somehow. I went this morning for a yoga class and it makes such a difference. So please keep exercising. Socialize with colleagues. I'm going to say that because I'm a bit of an introvert at times and I try not to mix colleagues and friendship, but I realized that we spend so much time with our colleagues, it's nice to know them in a different setting. So I'm not saying hang out with teachers all the time, because that would be like being in an eco chamber. But if you know that sometimes your colleagues go to the pub on a Friday, you don't have to go every week, but pop in once a month, say hi, see them in a different light. And you might realize that they share so many things with you, you understand them better. And it's working on empathy, empathy skills. So please socialize with colleagues when you can, just to to create a positive bond and invite the new uh, recruits as well. Leave school at 4 p.m. every day and at a stretch three or four days a week. Um, make, make it a rule, have it on your phone, have an alarm that rings. And when it's four o'clock or the end of your, um, official directed hours, just leave. It's important for you. You might not have finished everything but you need to stick to that schedule for your mental health. Protect yourself. Try to prepare all your printing ahead. So I know that sounds tricky but if you have one PPA sometimes, just try and print everything and sort out with labels what you need on monday tuesday wednesday etc and then leave early it's better to um to plan ahead and having to change things last minute than rushing to the printer and then it's busy or it's got no cartridges in it Um, Schedule positive phone calls to parents. Try and find a space in your timetable bi-weekly when you make positive phone calls and stick to it. Call the parents, tell them why their child is amazing. It will make you feel better. It will make the child and the parents feel better. And it's like a boost of of endorphin and it doesn't cost you the earth. Um, Pat yourself on the back when you've done it. Um, We're teachers. We do a lot and we take it for granted. So when you do something good, when you've been to your sports class, when you've done some gardening, just have the, the distance to look at what you've done and think, well done you, well done. Avoid unnecessary tasks. Ignorance is bliss. If you don't know you had to do it, you can always say, oh, sorry, I didn't know. And you know what? no one's going to get hurt. You're not a brain surgeon. If you don't do this, no one's going to get physically hurt. So you didn't fill this form, oh well, no big deal. You didn't put all the data, ask for another deadline. At the end of the day, nothing has to be set in stone. It's a school. It's not a spaceship flying to Mars. Rant and complain with trusted friends or colleagues. Choose one colleague you can trust. Don't go and rant to someone who is a member of SLT. But have a friend or a colleague you know you can trust and have a big rant when you need to. Let them do the same when they need to. Let it out. And then, if you really had a horrible day and you were on the verge of tears and it was just from the beginning to the end, it was a horrible day, go home, watch a movie, have a bath, think about something entirely different. Plan a holiday if you can afford it. It doesn't have to be an exotic location. It could just be going to a local castle, visiting and then having a cup of tea and a millionaire shortbread. Organize CPDs because it's good to learn new methods try and attend them online. It's easier nowadays because you don't have to go to a conference. But if you can afford to go to a conference, go with friends or you'll meet friends there. It's really good to to create a social network of like-minded teachers. Again, do the bare minimum. Don't reinvent the wheel. Use the lessons you did the previous years. No one will care. And if someone comes and says, oh, my sister has exactly the same lesson at that date in her book, just say, I am being consistent. You don't need to redo lessons. Just use the same ones. Change the date, obviously. And lastly, focus on what you can do and not what you can't do. So you can't protect these children once they leave the school building. You file a report if you have concerns over their safeguarding, but you're not their parent. You can't magically sort everything out in their lives. Just do what you can, do as well as you can, and that's the end of it. So these were my tips to stay alert, happy, cheerful in the classroom despite all the hard stuff we have to deal with on a daily basis. I hope you found it helpful and, uh, as always, I wish you a lovely week and I'll see you next Sunday, 5pm. Thank you, dear listeners.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time